This is the KPMG Current Conversations podcast. In this episode, is a perspective from the board. Welcome to the KPMG Current Conversations podcast, brought to you by the KPMG Global Energy Institute. Current Conversations is a podcast series featuring in-depth conversations with the nation's top energy executives and luminaries to explore today's most pressing issues and emerging challenges affecting our industry. On April 30th, 2020, Regina Mayer, KPMG's Global and U.S. Head of Energy, connected with energy veteran turned board member, Melody Meyer. As an independent board member with the vantage point from three diverse public companies, BP, AbV, National Oil Well Varco, as well as a trustee at Trinity University, Melody Meyer has a front row seat to the coronavirus pandemic response across an oil and gas company, a pharmaceutical company, an oil field services provider, and a private university. So Melody, great to speak with you today. Tell me, how are you managing sheltering in place? I, I know you're so clever and creative with ways of staying connected. And any tips or techniques for how you're coping? Hi, Regina. Great to talk to you. Glad you're staying safe, and we are too. And yeah, actually, this has not been that bad. We have been coming up with some pretty creative things to do. During our isolation, we've stayed away from our um, grown children and our grandbabies, which is very hard, Um, and my parents and everyone. So we are doing very good with isolation. But we've come up with some fun things, my scavenger hunts and Easter egg hunts and taught my 90-year-old parents how to do Google Duo. And and then I'd say lastly, it's keeping us quite busy, is we had a new puppy before this all occurred who has now become our quarantine buddy. Uh, problem with that is she's getting far too attached with us being home all the time. But we're we're making it through and staying very busy. I know. I think the pets are definitely thriving in this environment um, and definitely counting our blessings. There's there's positives that we have to continue to focus on amidst the devastating tragedy. But you mm-hmm. do have a front row seat. You're a board member with the vantage point from three diverse public companies as well as a university, Trinity University. So you've got a pharma company, a super major, and an oil field services provider. Share with us the different ways the current conditions are affecting these different sectors and, and how the companies that, on, that you're on the boards of are responding. Great. Okay. Well, I have been very busy with um, board conversations on a regular basis with uh, these companies and my companies that I'm serving on. And you know, I would say before um, COVID, there was a tremendous focus on the public boards on ESG, environmental social governance, governance issues. And environmental was really dominating that up until this. But this pandemic has really emphasized the importance of S, which is the social the care and support of employees and communities. And I guess I would say I'm very proud of the intense focus on employee health and safety on the companies that I serve on, not only for employee health and safety, but also supporting the communities in which we work. Um, All of the boards are very similar in that they have a a deeply held core value on safety and and very strong culture and processes around safety. All of these had uh, pandemic emergency response plans. They were very detailed. Um, These are all, all of my company's boards are um, global, and they're very experienced with global pandemics, such as SARS and H1N1. So they Mm -hmm. got good experience in the past. They had prepared and drilled 
Uh, the scale and scope of this one's unprecedented, though. So I would say the key to success for for my companies is um, they had detailed pandemic emergency response plan, experience preparation, and a culture of care and support. So, you know, all all of the employees, both energy, there's a lot of similarities, energy and pharmaceutical. All employees are working from home. Um, our employees and plants, refineries, offshore had to adopt new ways of working to keep each other safe uh, using techniques such as red and blue teams without cross-contact, redundant and backup shifts, wearing PPE full-time, a lot of challenges with cross-border closings and government regulations on stay-at-home. And, you know, much of our industry relies on cross-border crews, so we really had to stay in front of these closures to the extent possible to be able to anticipate where our people needed to be at the time where borders might be closed. And, and I guess lastly, I would say, because they're global, this pandemic has moved from region to region. So as it moved from China into other parts of the world, um, the these companies could learn from uh, one region and take that learning to the next, which is fantastic to have that kind of learning process as we go. And lastly, right. uh, university board, very unique challenges you wouldn't expect. We closed the campus, uh, went to online learning during spring break. Uh, we're supporting the faculty and students, thinking about how to manage the fall semester. I know you have um, uh, students at home as well, and um, many people have college kids at home. But just even thinking about um, admissions for next year, most of the students couldn't take SAT and ACT um, tests. So the question is, do we require that for incoming students? So there was a, a, a many things, but what I'm most proud of is this intense focus on, on employee health and safety. Absolutely, and you're right, we're in the same position, so we learn a lot from what our colleagues in China have been through and share a lot of those practices. And it's interesting to hear the university component, because if I reflect back, the universities were one of the first sectors to respond very aggressively by shutting campuses and, and moving entirely to remote learning before a lot of the companies mm -hmm. sort of figured out what was going on. So speaking of all of these tactics around keeping people safe, I know you one of the committees that you chair is BP's Safety Environment Security Assurance Committee. What tactics are you putting in place within that context that you would be able to share? So as you noted, I've mentioned many of these before, the ways of BP is working to keep teams safe and healthy. But a couple of things I'll just ta draw attention to you. Uh, one is they're sharing ways, tips, and best practices on how to work remotely. Uh, when BP offices in Houston were impacted heavily during Harvey, a lot of the staff here had to work for a long period of time remotely from home. And they've gone around the world sharing that best practice to the global workforce, which I think is quite good. Also, early on, BP recognized that mental health would be an important area to focus on. Uh, they recognized the need to support the challenges that this pandemic would create. So they partnered with an organization called MIND, and they've also emphasized throughout the entire process the importance of um, mental health. And then lastly, I would just say, um, because the world is very different today um, during this crisis with borders, closings, and stay-at-home orders, they've done a lot of tabletop emergency drills just to a drill the unique circumstances of the crisis to be sure that they're fully prepared. 
as well. So drills are, you know, a, a, a regular part of the process of any energy company. But drilling during these unique circumstances is um, quite a good technique. So those are just a few of the specific things in addition to the much larger um, ways of working to keep teams safe and healthy. Right. Definitely, as Houstonians, we have experience with hurricanes, and this happening globally is definitely unprecedented for all of us. Right. So let's, let's pivot. Um, you know, in addition to the pandemic, our industry is facing a, an absolute collapse in crude oil prices and going negative even. Who would have ever thought that that, that, that would happen? So as an industry, we're dealing with it. You've had a long and successful career in the energy industry, having been through five major price cycles. How is this one different, and what opportunities do you believe we might have that could make us stronger coming out of this? Yes. So, uh, you know, I have experienced so much change in my career in this industry over 40 years. I mean, as you said, the five price cycles, major mergers, new country startups, hurricanes, a lot of other crisis issues. And my leadership philosophy has always been about creating advantage from change because we know change is going to happen. This price cycle is very different. Uh, never have we had such a drastic drop in de- demand, and it was exacerbated by the OPEC plus situation as well. What it caused is a very heavily oversupplied uh, market, and there's just not enough storage to to take the production that was you know producing every day. So many field areas and operations will experience shut-ins. Refineries that produce aviation, jet fuel, obviously huge demand drop there. So there's going to be a lot of shut-in across um, the whole industry until we can get back into the supply and demand balance. So um, I do anticipate a lot of consolidation in the industry. Many of the Country break-evens, the export country break-evens, and even company break-even points are well above today's oil prices. So the whole industry is very focused on liquidity and survival, getting our costs down to the lowest break-even prices. And there's a large uncertainty in the timing of when supply and demand will uh, begin to rebalance. So I do think there's opportunities um, that come from this. And I think if you only focus on survival and not focus on the opportunities then I think that that's a, a huge miss in this opportunity. So I think there are ways to create advantage from change. So say more about those opportunities. What, what kinds of opportunities do you foresee? So I think never have we had such an ideal opportunity to create advantage from change by retaining and advancing women and diverse talent to, to new levels of line, line management in our industry to accelerate and excel in this energy transition. Um, I'm a huge advocate for the advancement of women in our industry, and McKinsey had published a study back in October of 2019 that shows that oil and gas lags behind almost every other industry in female participation from the entry level to the C-suite. So as our companies consolidate and reorganize for this price shock, and with an eye towards the skills and the mindset that we really need for this energy transition future, I think it's an imperative to be innovative and bold and to retain and advance women and diverse talent to really new, to new levels of line management to enable us to excel in the future. So in the past, you know, as we reorganized in the industry, um, we 
the advancement of women sometimes stalled or digressed or, you know, we had senior women that role models that retired early. And I think we have a real opportunity to create an inspired new workforce where both men and women win as we accelerate this progress to parity. Um, I'm hoping that companies see that. It's a huge value opportunity for the industry. Uh, it would enhance our performance, our value, and our reputation and uh, just creating advantage from change in our organization right now would give us a chance to do this right. I also think our digital transformation, and we've, we're an industry, as you know, Regina, that depends on technology innovation. We've been Absolutely. transforming operations aggressively for so many years, but we see now the power of virtual and remote operations more than we ever did. And um, it's an also a huge opportunity for us to continue to get to drive more cost-effective solutions. Um, so new ways of working require this digital transformation to accelerate. I think we can reevaluate our supply chains. Partnerships are critical in our industry. Um, having resilient um, supply chains has been very important through this crisis. And then you and I have talked about this before, but I think a lot about the shared economy uh, concepts, where we do share a lot in energy, but could we share more? Like, could we share experts in the industry that might be displaced by the reorganization and use that expertise to be more mobile around the industry? So I think there's opportunities in this um, um, disruption. Well, clearly, that's an inspiring and encouraging outlook. But what would you say to a, a relatively young professional that's new to the business and hasn't experienced a cycle that's as dramatic as this? How do they stick with it, you know, so that we can retain that talent versus having them flee to other sectors? You know, creating advantage from change is also personal because I think this is an opportunity for um, our our young employees and our new next generation leaders to really think about their leadership skills and their contributions and be very innovative and very creative. If they get displaced from the industry, I hope that they find opportunities to continue to support the energy transition. Uh, it's such a broad uh, concept across the board. And I think, we, you know, we're an industry that requires constant learning, innovation, changed mindsets, um, agile work, ways of working. And I just would encourage our young people in this industry to, to focus on things that create value and uh, they will um, benefit in the long run, both personally and professionally. Terrific advice. Stick with it, our young professionals. Um, these, do yep. th these things do pass and I think we are learning how critically important energy is to just making the world work. We're also heavily reliant on uh, energy to enable remote working, for example. And I know my kids would go crazy without Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> not the least of which they could yes. do their schoolwork, right? But let's talk about yeah. climate change because you talked about the energy transition a few times. There's different schools of thought. You know, some say, okay, uh, fossil fuels are so cheap and will be so inexpensive for a long time to come. Does that imperil renewable investments, or others say it accelerates the investment because we are seeing what can happen with, you know, a, a, a disruption. If, if there was a climatic disruption, it would be as devastating as the pandemic that we're experiencing. You know, what do you think is going to happen to climate change, the energy transition? Is it stay on the front 
the forefront of ESG conversations at the board level, or does it move to a back burner issue? You know, my view is that the energy transition is just as important now as it was before. We've been in transition for about 20 years. We accelerated the transition the last five years to meet societal expectations to provide more energy and more types of energy, all with lower carbon. So the economics are going to change of every form of energy over time. As oil prices prices drop, natural gas and renewables, also um, the economics change based on efficiency and other cost factors. So we'll constantly have um, variability in the economics between um, different forms of energy, but they're all required. The key is that the industry keep focused on advancing lower carbon across all forms. Um, I think it's important that consumers have more choices. You know, oil and natural gas are important because oil is a feedstock to the products we use every day, and natural gas is a reliable power provider. But I think this pandemic is teaching us that we can leave some of our old operating behind and, and establish some new. Uh, rethinking the office is more virtual, you know, new mindsets on the percent of time people spend in the office um, could ultimately benefit in lower emissions as well. If um, fewer people are commuting and fewer people are working from offices and, um, and home. We've definitely learned a lot about how we can change our behavior. So it sounds like you are of the mindset that these behavioral changes that we've made, like remote working, less flying, that those will maintain at some level on a continuing basis? I do. I, I think that this has just really taught us that, that we, could, we can do this. Now, I'd say our young professionals with young children at home, it's very difficult to work from yeah, home and yeah. um, to do childcare and homeschooling, and th those things are challenging. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we can't work that way the whole time. But I think we can rethink the office as more virtual. It'll be interesting to see when travel resumes and when will we resume the old behaviors. I mean, I've traveled globally most of my career. I know you have as well. And my career experiences were deeply enriched by this. The question is, can the lack of those experiences be replaced virtually for our next generation of global leaders? And, you know, that, that's a big question. Um, conferences, mass gatherings probably need to be reimagined. Uh, there will still be a very strong desire to network in person safely, but I think a lot more can be done virtually, and that's what this has taught us. And then, you know, returning to the the old, you know, we have to step back and look at some of the broader implications, which are very interesting. We've focused so heavily on globalization the last 20 years, but um, some of the geopolitical behaviors during this pandemic may drive us to more deglobalization. Um, and also there's big questions out there about the vaccine. I was reading this morning about the impact the polio vaccine had on the, the scare of, of polio early on and how that was rectified pretty quickly into a very globalized world with an uh, effective va vaccine. So many, many questions on how we revert, but I think it has taught us new ways to take advantage of, and we should take advantage of those. We definitely have changed our behavior radically and very quickly. So it's, it's been fascinating to watch. 
So you serve on boards now, and after a, a long, successful career as a senior executive and a line manager in, in earlier parts, but so you're mastering the role of what it means to be a board member while you respect the roles that management must play. So speaking with your board hat on, you know, what advice or guidance would you offer to other board members regarding the board-specific role in helping companies navigate this current, these current circumstances? So, you know, there's been extraordinary response from company like yours, uh, KPMG, McKinsey, IHS, NACD, women corporate directors. There's so many organizations out there that are providing a lot of um, insights and perspectives around this situation in the world. And they're offering this back to the director community. I think as a director, I'm, I have opportunities to join so many learning calls um, lately, and that I've also had to be judicious in which ones that I participate in. But but I think there's there's great insights being shared with directors, and there's a lot of forums where directors are allowed to um, um, share amongst themselves, like women corporate directors and NACD. But I would say learn everything you can, be engaged as, as much as possible on what's going on in the world, in the industry, and with um, public and private boards. But, but also just to lean on our own experiences. Many of us, you know, I've had a lot of crisis uh, management experience in my career. We've had a lot of experiences um, throughout our long um, careers, and we really have an opportunity to bring those insights into the um, management teams of the boards that we serve on. Many of the directors have extensive global experience, and when you have that global experience, you can leverage that and draw on that knowledge in the um, board discussions with your management colleagues. So I just think that there's a, a real opportunity to lean on our, our experiences, but also to learn from so many great insights that are being offered right now. One specific question that I have, as somebody who is a board member said, these remote board calls have actually enforced really unique discipline around how people speak because everyone's on a level playing field. So it's not like a few people are listening in and trying to hear a conversation that multiple people are having, you know, away from the microphones. Have you sensed that the quality of the discussion at the board level when it is conducted virtually has improved? I think it has improved. In fact, when you're on a call where everyone is in a you know grid basically, and you can you can see everyone's um, body language, you can hear from them. There's good methodologies about um, taking turns speaking so that the group's not talking over each other. Yeah, and also the yeah. fact that our boards know each other, and many of our board members have we've worked together. We understand and trust. We understand the expertise that um, is in the boardroom, and I think knowing that we've had those face-to-face -face interactions and now working in this methodology is working really well. That has been a fascinating phenomenon, so I wanted to highlight that. So you have been incredibly inspiring and very positive. I appreciate all of your sentiments, Melody. What final words of wisdom or encouragement would you leave for our listeners? So... Uh, as we know, you and I, an energy industry is really an essential industry. So it's essential for health and economic growth. So it's really imperative 
that we not only survive, but we create this advantage for change. And we, we do it over and over. This is an industry that has reinvented itself over and over and has weathered through very difficult times. But we're also in transition, and we need to think about how, to, how do we provide this affordable energy to the world at these low prices and to accelerate this energy transition so to this lower carbon future. Um, I think the pandemic's taught us many things. It's taught the world that the core value of safely, safety that we always knew in uh, our industry is very deeply held by society because when global economies shut down to keep people safe, it's obvious how how deep this core value of safety is. You know, the, interestingly, the whole world now knows what PPE is and as a <laughs> yeah. has a lot of And an N95 mask. <laughs> Yes, I mean, we, we all know the lingo on PPE, which is great. We all, the whole world also knows what we've known in energy is that our safety values and behavior also impact those closest to us. And I think that that's a real strong reinforcement of um, uh, safety values and behaviors. I do think, you know, it won't last forever. There are new ways to work and socialize. You know, I think to some extent we're more connected now than ever before. Um, but without the extensive travel, we actually have more time to focus on the things we want to accomplish. So travel took a lot of our time. Um, it's given us a little bit of that time back. And I guess the last thing on the lighter side is we're going to have to get rid of the old business handshake. Um, and the occasional <laughs> no more hugs, hugs, you know, as the, <laughs> as the global standard. And I, I was thinking about, you know, how do, how do we replace the handshake with something else? And I worked a lot in Asia, as you know, and I think the Thai Y greeting is, is excellent as an alternative. It shows power and respect, but it's an obvious greeting with social distance. So we're going to have to think <laughs> about things like that in business that are quite different. <laughs> We're definitely living in a different world and uh, learning a lot from it, counting our blessings. Thank you, Melody, for your time and your insights. I always enjoy these conversations. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast episode on a perspective from the board. A transcript of this episode is available on the KPMG Global Energy Institute at www.kpmgglobalenergyinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to the KPMG Current Conversations podcast to be notified of new episodes.